These induced pluripotent stem cells, or iPSCs, have revolutionized medicine. They've really changed um, what we believe we can and can't do, I mean, fundamentally. So um, the question from the front is, can you individualize um, somebody's cells, right, and, and use it? And that's one of the wonderful things that we can do. So the example I have here is someone with liver disease gets a skin biopsy, and those fibroblasts are turned into induced pluripotent stem cells, okay? And these are specific to that individual. You could imagine then um, we could do lots of things. One of the things is if we don't know why that person has liver disease, we can turn those um, iPSCs into liver cells, hepatocytes, and study them. And we could even screen for drugs. If they have a, a feature that's abnormal, we can screen for drugs to normalize that feature. And then we can give that drug to that individual patient. So that's individualized, personalized therapy. Also, we could take the the skin cells, turn them into liver cells, and give them back to that patient. Let's say instead of um, getting um, a liver transplant, someday we're going to be able to grow a whole liver in, a, in the lab, and we can just grow that liver and give that person their liver back. I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's not that far away either. If we can find a cause for the liver disease, and the cause is genetic, we can then Nowadays, we can think about correcting that genetic cause. Then you have what are known as repaired induced pluripotent stem cells. They can grow that into a liver and give a healthy liver back. Okay? So this is the example is for liver disease. This is what we want to do for brain diseases as well. It is, as you can imagine, um, many degrees of difficulty harder for brain diseases because Brains, unlike muscle and liver, um, um, neurons are organized into circuits. Um, and like I said at the beginning, the different types of cells have different functions. And we have not yet figured that out. Um, but um, this idea of gene correction for certain types of genetically inherited um, brain diseases is still um, very much possible. OK. so. Um, Gene editing. It's been in the news a lot. Sometimes it's just called gene editing. Sometimes it's called genome editing. Sometimes it's called CRISPR gene editing. And I want to just do my public service announcement and say that gene editing, which is going to be incredibly important for human health moving forward, actually came from basic science study of bacteria. Okay. These two scientists, Jennifer Doudna, who's at Berkeley, and Emmanuel Charpentier, who's at INSERM in France. She's she's French. Um, they, were, they were collaborating, and they were literally studying how bacteria fight off pathogens. Like, we think of bacteria as, like, pathogens, but turns out there are viruses and phages that actually attack bacteria. And they were interested in that question, and they figured out that um, bacteria actually have their own form of immunity. And they figured out all the pieces of it. And it turns out that the bacteria do this thing where they are infected once by a virus, and they take some of the virus's DNA, and they chop it up, and they stick it in their own genome. And the next time they see that kind of virus, they produce the, um, the DNA or RNA that um, 
uh, of that virus, and they use it to basically um, battle that virus. So it's the exact same idea as we use for producing vaccines, right? So we give um, an exposure. So like, I don't know how many people have gotten the flu vaccine. I, I haven't yet, but I will next week. Um, um, we give a pre-exposure, we make antibodies, and so when we see the actual pathogen, then we'll be prepared to fight. And that's exactly what bacteria figured out to do many millennia ago. The um, com components of this bacterial immunity um, include these, this thing called CRISPR, which stands for clustered, regularly interspaced, short palindromic repeats. It's the way that they put their, um, the, bac the bacteria put the viral DNA into their own genome. And like I said, it's a way that bacteria can fight viruses that they've been exposed to before. It's fascinating. And that idea was then taken um, by another fellow, Feng Zhang, who's at the Broad in Boston and is actually a friend of mine. And he's called the Midas of methods. He said, wow, that's really neat that bacteria can do that. Can we use that to modify human DNA? And then he went and he figured out a super simplified system. So the bacterial system was actually still pretty complicated, had many moving parts. He reduced it to basically three parts that are shown here that aren't particularly important. But basically, it was a Cas9 protein that cuts DNA um, and a recognition signal um, fused to um, a recognition, um, a, a particular um, um, fold of RNA that helped guide um, this up to the right part of the genome. So now it's become, I mean, literally within five, probably six, seven years, we went from this being a brand new idea to being something that everybody can do in lab within a, a week. It's amazing. It's amazing. In cells, okay, in dividing cells, I guess I should say, is also really important. So. Nowadays, we know that you can use CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing to take a gene that you don't want and knock it out. You can take a gene that's normal and mutate it. You could take a gene that's mutated and repair it. Or there are new technologies that have piggybacked on top of this where you can inactivate a gene. You could make, leave it the way it is, but just inactivate it, or you can activate it. And the CRISPR-I, CRISPR-A activation inactivation was developed to a large degree at UCSF uh, by Jonathan Weissman and colleagues. Okay, um, so most of this work, now we do this routinely in the lab in cells, right? Because they divide quickly, we control, we can get DNA into them. What about in humans, right? When is this gonna go prime time for humans? Well, the American Society for Human Geneticists think it is not ready for prime time. They put out a, a statement in 2017 um, that has not been modified that they think due to scientific, scientific, ethical, and policy concerns that um, genome editing is not yet ready for humans. Nonetheless, if you've been following the news, you know that likely this has already occurred in humans. Um, to some degree, we think of it as rogue science. Others might say something different. Um, but back in November 2018, um, the first um, CRISPR-edited um, babies um, were sort of revealed. Um, and then just, I mean, it's so hard to keep on top of this field. Like two days ago, once again, there's a new type of genome editing that, um, you know, the headlines read, new gene editing technology could correct 89% of genetic defects. 
Um, we're moving really fast. I think there's a lot of um, ethical, very important ethical concerns. Um, nonetheless, this technology could be life-saving. Um, right now, because it needs to be done in dividing cells, um, there are some applications in, for example, um, uh, childhood genetic diseases where um, repair can be done, for example, on an egg um, uh, or early um, in gestation. I'm not saying whether I agree or don't agree with it. Um, that is not the work that I do. Um, but it's hard to turn back time. And so I think it's important uh, for us to think as individuals and as a society about the rules and regulations and the governance um, so we're not in the wild west with genome editing. It's, it's one of the important questions of our time.